begins at 6 a.m. It, it used to begin at 5 a.m., but we told Cassidy she could no longer do 5 a.m., so it begins at 6 a.m. My daughter, she's not in here, um, she is the best sleeper in the house, except on Christmas morning. She does, and that's great because it's fun not to, not to outgrow that. But it begins at 6 and we um, do Christmas morning. Then we drove to my father-in-law's house up in Dade City, up in Pasco County. And we spent the afternoon there. Then we drove to my father's house about 30 minutes away and we did dinner there. And then we drove home. And when I say we drove home, I meant Tony. Um, <laughs> Because we were whipped by the end of the day. I and mean, it was good. It's good tired. You know, there's tired and then there's good tired from being with family. It was great. But Tony drove and the rest of us slept uh, on, the, uh, on the way home. And, and so, like I said, when I talk about kind of renewing the strength, you know, between Christmas Eve and Christmas, these last few days have, have been kind of that way. And, uh, and then it, it kind of turns us looking forward now you know, to, to the new year. And this is that, like I said, last, year, last week with Christmas Eve being on a Sunday, which made for a very uh, crazy kind of a day. Well, today, New Year's Eve uh, is, is on a Sunday, which is not quite as crazy in the morning for us. But I know a lot of you have plans and some of the parks and areas you, you live have have gatherings and parties, and, and that's great if you're able to stay up for it. Good for you. Um, <laughs> I try to, and so far I've been okay. I, I saw a, a saying that said, youth is when you get to stay up uh, to midnight on New Year's Eve. Middle age is when you have to. And, uh, you know, we fight. My brothers and I were joking. We were talking on the phone and said, you know, wagering, jokingly wagering, which one of us, if any of us, is going to make it to, uh, to midnight tonight. We'll see. But uh, it, it's a time that we start to, we start to, you know, we simultaneously look back on 2017 uh, for the, the, the positives and, and the struggles. Maybe you look back with fond memories. Maybe you look back with uh, cynicism. Uh, somebody uh, I read said, uh, I love watching the ball drop in New York on New Year's Eve because when the ball drops, it reminds me of what I've been doing all year which is dropping the ball. You know, that's, that's maybe I have to set that up better. Um, that's a cynical way of, of looking at it. But, but what does happen, regardless of, of the year that, that we've had, we tend, large, big we, we tend to, to look toward a new year um, with optimism. And part of that optimism manifest for a lot of people in resolutions. We talk about this this time of year. Some, some of you are resolutions people, and I think that's great. Um, some of you, most of us think, whether or not we do resolutions, most of us reflect and think there are a lot things in our lives, there's areas of our lives that we can improve on, that we can do better at. And so I think a new year kind of, you know, the, the changing of the calendar breeds some of that, that optimism. Now, there's some of you that might be thinking, I don't need to change anything. Um, there, there's, a, there's a cartoon uh, or a, a strip, The Peanuts, when Charlie Brown asked Lucy, uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? And as Lucy does, she just launches into a tirade. Why? Why do I need New Year's resolutions? Do I need to change? Am I not good enough? Am I not fine the way I am, Charlie Brown? That kind of a thing. And, um, but for most of us, we, we recognize the need to change. So resolutions become big. Now, I thought it'd be fun. I found the list of the top resolutions for, for the coming year, for 2018. What do you think the top resolutions are for 2018? 
lose weight. Everybody goes right there. That is, lose weight. 37% of people, I have the statistics, 37% said that is their, uh, their New Year's resolution. Um, and it manifests either as eat better or exercise more, or exercise more. We know Dave works at the Y. We, next week's going to be crowded at the Y. We know it will be. So, so that's one. What else? What else do you think's on there? Be better organized. That was, yeah, that was, um, let's see, where is it? I know it's on there somewhere. That was about 15%. Try something new. Yes, that was actually on there too. To focus on new experiences at about 18%. Quit smoking, 9%. Spend less money. That's actually one of the top ones. It's exercise, eat healthy or lose weight, and spend less, save more. Those are your top three. Anybody else want to guess? What's that? Better attitude. Better attitude. Okay. I, let's see. Was that one on there? Let's see. Well, there's some positive. There's, there's general, like make personal positive changes. So that would certainly be one. Okay. Anybody else? Focus less on appearances on there. Go on more dates was actually on there. Um, <laughs> read, read more books. Uh, learn a new skill. That was on there. Now, one I found very, very interesting, though. About 10% put as their resolution that their New Year's resolution is to not make any New Year's resolutions. <laughs> now, I hate to break it to you, but I think that's the only resolution you simultaneously make and break at the exact same time. Because <laughs> if you think about it, it's a contradictory resolution. Uh, but but th that's the point. There, there are things that we begin to, to focus on. But here's the interesting statistic that you guys probably know. That of New Year's resolutions, within a week, 25% are broken. Within a month, within a month, 50% are broken. That's the, that's the joke that we've been saying at the Y, because all the, everything's going to be busy next week. They said, just give it till the end of January. 50% um, are broken. And by two years out, only 20% of resolutions are continuing to have any kind of an impact. So, you know, most of us know that. Most of us have probably had some experience of setting those resolutions and, and not kind of seeing them through. And, and so that forward kind of thinking, maybe, maybe it would be helpful for us is to, to think in broader terms. Uh, not necessarily the specifics, because that varies for each of us. Like I said, maybe you're not a resolution person. I'm not particularly a resolution person at a set time of year. But we all know what it's like to make a resolution, a personal resolution to do something start something, quit something, whether it's at January 1st or whether it's any, any time of the year. But what are some of the, the, the principles, what some of the things that frame our thinking for what I call reflective action, intentional action, thought through behaviors, if you will? And what are some of the, the, the truths that are at work in our lives as, as followers of Christ? And so we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up at verse 4. And again, just read a few verses, 4 through 7. But I want you to hear, hear these words that Paul writes to the church. He says, But when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you, know, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, 
God has also made you an heir. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that your word would speak your truth to us today, that in these moments as we prepare to begin this new year together, that we would be strengthened in knowing who we are and who we are called to be. So speak to us now. We pray in these moments in Christ's holy name. Amen. Paul, Paul says something that, that, is, that is very interesting on a, on a faith level and a personal level for us. He says that when the set time had come, when, he, when he's talking about, about Christ and Christ's entry into the world, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, incarnation, he says when the set time had come. And, of course, he's speaking to that set time in relationship to the entry of Jesus into the world. Of that moment in human history when the God who is beyond time and space stepped into time and space. The God who is not limited by minutes and hours and days and weeks and years stepped into minutes and hours and days and weeks and years. And those roughly 33 years that... Christ lived on earth. Those 33 years between the birth, which we celebrated last week, and the death and resurrection, which we'll celebrate early in the new year, the, the bookends of, of his life that inaugurated God's plan of salvation, that, that called us into the unique relationship. But, but it's just that a set time had come. And it reminds us of that, that profound yet simple truth that God operated in a very specific, or God operated in Christ at a very specific time, a very specific place for a very specific number of years. And, and I think about that personally, that, that idea that our lives, as we know, are finite, that we live in a set time and a set place for a set number of years. We don't always. We, we certainly don't know what those numbers will be. We we don't we don't have an idea how long it will be. But we know we we have a window of time. There's um, uh, Calvin Miller is a, a writer, and he talked about uh, as a young pastor, a student pastor visiting an older gentleman in the church who was in very poor health, and he asked him. His name was Ralph, and he said, Ralph, do you think you're going to die? And Ralph said, yes, I'm going to die, and so are you. And it took Calvin Miller by surprise because he was only 20 years old. And when you're 20, you don't think about that. And when you're young, you're going to live forever. He said, but, but the reality is, is we know that we're all going to die. And he said every year on New Year's Day, he spends time reflecting on um, Psalm 90, verse 12. 90, 12, which says, Teach me to number my days that I may have a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days. And he said that reflection was just a reminder that I have a, a window of time that God has given me. That I, that I have so many minutes, hours, and days. And, and to recognize that that's an, there's not an inexhaustible supply of that. The set time, that's the set time that we've been given. I, I read a story about a, a, a man 
who uh, one day, you know, sometimes you just kind of go off on rabbit trails. Your thoughts take you in, in, well, maybe you don't. I do. I go on rabbit trails all the time. And just random thoughts that pop up. And, and he had a random thought one day. He's like, I wonder if the average lifespan is 75 years, how many weeks that is? How many Saturdays do you get in 75 years? And so he took 52 and he multiplied by 75 and he came up with 3,900. So if you live to be 75 years old, you get 3,900 Saturdays. He was 56 at the time. So he did the math on that and he said, if you take the Saturdays I've had, I have 2,912 Saturdays behind me. So I have 1,000 Saturdays if I'm able to live roughly to 75 years So he went out, and he bought 1,000 marbles, and he put them in a jar. And every Saturday, he takes a marble out of the jar. And that sounds, I know that sounds kind of morbid. And it talks about the fact that if you live to be 75, you have officially lost your marbles. But (laughs) that's not the setup there, but... But I know some of you are well short of 75, and I'd question, never mind. Um, but, but in seriousness, why he did that, why he does that, he says it reminds him to treasure the time that he has. It's not meant to be a, a morbid reflection on mortality, but rather to keep him mindful that that time, the set time that God has given him is fleeting And that he is called to make the most of it. And and that's the challenge. You know, Mike and I were talking before the service, and we have these conversations all the time, how quickly it seems like we're back to this time of year and how fast the years go. And and it's cliche because it's true. The the older we get, the faster the time seems to, to, uh, like sands of the hourglass, so go the, and I, dear God, that I'm quoting a, soap opera, but uh, <laughs> I promise I don't watch it, but, but I've seen the clip. But, but those, that, that hourglass falls faster, doesn't it? The sand falls faster. The set time had come. Well, well, Jesus operated in a set time, but so do we. So do we. We have that. Do we, do we reflect and are we conscious of that time, of the days that God gives us? And the moments that we have. So we recognize that, that simple yet, yet significant truth about the, the limits of time and, and our opportunities. And then we recognize the, the truth that he speaks. He says, that because it's not just about the time. But he says that when that time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive something. And, and he says that you might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. In fact, in James, he says that you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. So, so he not only says this is what God has done in the set time, but that in our set time, you have an identity. You are claimed. And that, that claimed is you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. It becomes your identity. It becomes the definition of of who, you, of who you are, sons and daughters of God. Do we, do we claim our 
identity. We recognize the significance of what God has done and what that says to the value, our value, and how much we matter to God. Jesus Christ stepped into time for a very specific purpose, and that is to bring us into this powerful relationship that God chose. You've maybe seen the shirts or the saying that that sometimes kids who are adopted into families will have or will wear that says, you know, my parents chose me. Your parents got stuck with you, you know. (laughs) And and, and there's, there's a truth about being chosen. God has chosen us. God has called us into this this relationship. Do you claim that identity? You know, it's uh, it's for so many. One of the struggles of life, one of the struggles of of the journey and our experiences is our own sense of of worth and value. And life has a way of beating that out of us sometimes. We've all been through experiences, and some more than others, where, where you felt devalued. You've, you've, you've felt beat down. You felt as if your opinion, your thoughts, your impact doesn't matter. But the scriptures tell us just the opposite. In fact, there's, there's something very profound about personalizing. And I, and I sometimes push against um, very individualistic faith. And the idea that, that sometimes we, we forget that faith is always meant not just for you, but for us. That we're called into a community. The scriptures are the story of God's people. And there are significant actors and actresses, participants in those stories. But it's always a community. Faith is meant to be lived out in community. And that's why God gives us ecclesia, gathering church. Not for structure, but for community of people together. So sometimes I push back against over-personalizing faith as it's just you and God kind of thing. But to, to pull it back a little bit, there's real value in recognizing your individual worth and your value to God. And, and I've, I've seen uh, Sunday school lessons with kids sometimes where they teach children to read scriptures for instance, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But to personalize that, for God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Chris that he gave his only begotten son or, or, or each of us that he gave his son. Because there's something significant about recognizing that no matter how much life wants to beat, beat us down at times, no matter how much sometimes we can fee, feel devalued and unappreciated, that that's never our reality before God. That in the set time that Jesus came, he did so. God sent him to pull us into a profound relationship that says, you are sons and daughters of God. That is who you are. And God has chosen you. And so in this time, you are made very clear who you are. But then the challenge before us becomes, what will you do with it? What will you do with these two realities? One, that you have a window of time. And two, that you are a son and daughter of God. The question becomes, are you and I going to live like it? Is our lives or will our lives reflect that truth and that glory? Because, you know, we've said before that the value of our lives are not the years that we have, 
but the impact that we leave. Because there are those who, who live very short and very impactful lives. There are those who live to be 102 and leave little to show for it. What will you leave to show for it? Too often we just, we measure this. We went and saw, uh, Tony and I went with the kids on um, Friday night. And it'll give me a chance to brag on them a little bit. Uh, we went and saw Evita at the uh, Oslo. Anybody, have, anybody go and see that show? I don't know if you know, this is, there are a lot of really talented worship leaders out there, but there are not too many worship leaders that can both be kind of contemporary worship leaders and can play in a pit orchestra for a major theater production. John Godfrey, our worship leader, was in the pit orchestra for Evita, playing guitar. He had like four guitars down there uh, that he was playing for the last month, which is incredible. And it was a fantastic show. And I didn't know anything about, or I didn't very, knew very little about Ava Perone. But the significance when, when I looked at it and kind of read it, just a brief biography, is that she only lived 33 years. And she died very, very young. And that startles us. Uh, that, that's too young. That's too young. And I don't know at what point too young ceases to be the story. I think when it's someone that we love, it's always too young. But, but the reality is, but the, the question becomes, as I started to reflect on, on her life, and, and there's you know, a lot of discrepancy about, about some of her actions, or a lot of conflict there, or controversy is the word I'm looking for. But whether we have 33 or 102, what do you do with the time that you have? If we know that we are sons and daughters of God, as we look forward into a new year and we reflect on what is to come, do our lives, will our actions, will our resolutions reflect our identity? Will people look at us and say, by our actions, by our love, you are a son or daughter of God because of the way you reflect Jesus, the way that you live Jesus, the way that your life testifies to the faith that we profess? Will our actions give credibility to our name, son or daughter? The playwright Arthur Miller, there's a story told that he was uh, out one night and, and he was at a bar and he was sitting by himself and a guy walked up to him and said, you're Arthur Miller. And he said, yes. And he said, I'm Sam. You remember me, Sam? We were, we were friends in high school. We're buddies. Remember, we went on double dates. You're, it's Sam. And Arthur Miller looked at him and really couldn't place him, couldn't, couldn't remember who he was, but it didn't deter Sam. And Sam kind of went on and started talking and started sharing some of the things that he had done. And he said, you know, I've, I've done pretty well for myself. I'm, I, I'm kind of in, in um, clothing and department store uh, ownership, and I, I've done pretty well. He's like, Arthur, what, what, have, what have you done? What, what, what do you do? <laughs> and, and Arthur Miller looked at him and said, well, well I write plays. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, uh, any that I might have ever heard of? And Arthur Miller said, well, have you heard of Death of a Salesman? Man got quiet for a second, and his eyes lit up, and his face went flush. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're Arthur Miller. <laughs> and the point is, he didn't realize who Arthur Miller was until he knew what Arthur Miller had done. Will people recognize who you are, who I am, 
because they see what we've done. What we've done with the set time. Jesus, in 33 years, changed human history for eternity. Now, I'm not saying our impact, no human, no life will ever compare to the impact of Christ. So don't misunderstand me. But will your years, whatever they may be, will they, will they have impact? Will people see in you son or daughter of God? How do your resolutions, your reflective action, your reflective action, whether it be this time of year or at any point, does it, does it reflect that truth, that identity, set time, claimed by God and changed empowered the spirit of God that is at work within us. That's what Paul says, the spirit at work within us to allow us to move forward. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. That word in Greek is poema. And it's the word that we get poem from. You are God's poem. What will be the testimony of that? How will the verses go? And what impact will we have? I pray, brothers and sisters, for each of us. I, I pray 2018 is a wonderful, blessed year. I pray that for each of us. But I pray that as we move forward, that the most important thing with these time, this time that God has given, that our lives would reflect the truth that we are sons and daughters of God and that we would be His poetry as we speak His truth and love to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for claiming us. Thank you for, for receiving us into a relationship as your children. As we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, that you would embrace us and strengthen us and empower us in faith as we move forward. That our lives would bear witness to the truth of who we are as sons and daughters of God. And that, that would be attractive to others, that they too would come to know their identity and the love you have for them. We pray blessings, but most importantly, I pray faithfulness and obedience for each of us as we move into this new year. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, I invite you.